And I think the more confident you are and the more clear you are in what you want to do and where you're going, the more companies are going to want to listen to that story and, and bring you on to, to contribute to their success. My name is Merrill Dubrow, CEO of Mark Research. I'm a 35-year veteran of the research and insights community and the host of our podcast, On The Mark. On The Mark is focusing on executives and thought leaders in the world, sharing their insights, strategies, and personal experiences. I promise this podcast will be filled with tough, pointed questions with real, insightful, and emotional answers. Today's guest is my good friend, Tom Johnson, EVP of Customer Experience for Dynata. Tom, welcome to the On The Mark podcast. Thank you, Meryl. It's an honor to be here. Thanks, Tom. We're going to have some fun. And listen, I like to start with something probably a little bit goofy, but tell me who's going to win in football. Are you a football guy? Yeah, I am. All right, so tell me. You have you have the NFC East, which you have four, uh, how do I say this politically correct, not-so-good teams. you got Washington that has won four in a row. The Giants have won five out of eight. The Cowboys, okay, they've got one in a row. And you've got, obviously, the fourth team is Philadelphia. Who the hell wins the NFC East? I I am actually born and raised in Seattle, Washington. So I am a huge Seattle Seahawks fan. So I'm I'm a big NFC West guy. Okay. I'm a firm believer the Seahawks are going to go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. But to answer your question, I actually believe that the the New York Giants – are going to pull it out and win the NFC East. So they 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 stumbled a little bit last weekend, but I think they're going to make a comeback. And so um, I've given them that, but I don't think they're going to make it very far in the playoffs. So I think the Giants have a game coming up with Seattle, do they not? No, sadly, they played Seattle and beat Seattle. So uh, that was a little bit of a disappointment. But then we, we played the Jets just this, this last week. Got it. Okay. What would people be a little bit surprised to know about you? Just anything. You know, do you play the violin? You know, are you an avid chess player? Just give me something that people would be a little bit surprised to know about you. I wish I had some rare and unique uh, interest or talent that I could uh, that I could talk about. But but I will give you a couple of things. First of all, this may not be surprising, but I'm an avid golfer and struggle with improving my game. <laughs> I'm, I'm committed, but yet can't make improvements there. So that's. Uh, that's one thing I spend time with. And one of the silver lines, I'm sure we'll get into this, of the pandemic is I've got three great kids and a, and a great wife and a, a loving dog. And so I'm uh, really focused on family. And that's, that's really the number one thing in my life, hands down. That's great. All right. So let's get into it a little bit. You know, I had the pleasure, um, Steve Schlesinger and I had the pleasure of having you come to the CEO Summit, something that we've done now probably... I don't know, 15 or 16 years when we first started it. And you razzled and dazzled the crowd with just a lot of sales techniques. Your sales understanding is just incredible. But I think you saw firsthand from most, if not all of the CEOs in the room, Tom, that you know most people struggle at what you do great, right? So, so goal setting for salespeople is probably as easy as looking at your backhand and motivating salespeople the same and setting up comp plans. It's just second nature to you. Why do most you know, executives in the research community are, are kind of lost with that? 
Let me give a, a couple of reasons why I think that's true. First of all, sales is a true profession. There's a lot of nuance to it. I've been doing it now for a long time. I've been sales leadership for you know over 20 years. And throughout the course of those 20 years, I've learned a lot about what kinds of comp plans motivate teams, how to best manage salespeople to ensure that you can clear the way so that they're successful in their role and feeling really good about their contributions, knowing what kind of traits and skills make up good salespeople so we can hire the right people. Because you, you know I've made plenty of mistakes along the way, and I've learned from those mistakes. So I think one is just experience and, and learning and you know, developing based on both uh, successes and failures. So I would say that's sort of the, the first kind of component of it. The other part is that salespeople, as I think you probably know, Meryl, they're pretty savvy, especially the good ones. And they're actually very good at managing their manager. And, uh, and so I think this is you know, back to your question. I think getting to the core of the issue is sometimes difficult with salespeople. They're good at selling what they're doing, even if it's not really you know, moving in the right direction. And so being able to cut through that with really clear metrics is, I think, a key element to that. So knowing how are, how are we going to hold our salespeople accountable? What are the leading indicators? Not just the, the lagging indicator of, of bookings or revenue, but what are the leading indicators? What are the things we're asking our salespeople to do every day? And then holding them accountable. And I almost think of it almost like an athletic trainer where... I don't love to go work out, to be honest. I, I wish I did a lot more of it. But if I know that there's, uh, if, if I sign up to, to, with a trainer, I know that trainer is there and they're going to push me to achieve my own goals. And if I say, hey, you're pushing me too hard, they say, well, listen, this is what the goal you set out to do. I'm just supporting you to get to your goal. I think that's the best way to manage salespeople is to kind of clearly outline what are their goals? What are they trying to accomplish? What are the steps that they believe they need to take to get there? And then hold them accountable to that day in and day out. The problem with people that aren't sales leaders are that they can't spend all their time with this. So they, they can't manage this on a day-to-day -day basis. And they haven't had the experience of knowing the kind of techniques and, and incentive plans and that sort of thing that really motivates salespeople. And so I think that's where, that's where experience it comes into play. Wow, there's so many follow-up questions I want to ask. How do you manage your manager? That's interesting. So you're telling me somebody can man in your enterprise can actually manage you? I, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, I try <laughs> to avoid it. I try to avoid it. It happens. It certainly happens. It happens at different levels. You know, different levels within uh, you know within the sales organization. Most salespeople, if I start talking to them about it, they're missing their forecast for a given quarter. Most of them will say, "You know what, Tom? I, I, it looks like I might slightly miss it, but I I'm going to have the biggest quarter next quarter that you've ever seen." And let me tell you about why that's going to happen. And so the, the shift of the focus on what's happening this quarter actually shifts to next quarter and what might happen next quarter and all the good things that are happening, but you're shifting away the things that are going to happen this quarter. The key is to say, wait, 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 let's don't talk about next quarter just yet. Let's focus on talking about what's happening here and let's both review what's happened and then let's build a plan to try to make the most of this quarter and then let's move on to next quarter. But again, that's just one example, you know, literally nine out of 10 salespeople are really good at selling you about what the future looks like, but distracting you from maybe some of the challenges that are happening right then and now. Yeah, I, I think some nice takeaways there and a lot of truth. Um, and the listeners will really enjoy that. You know, if I think if you said to me basketball and we did word association, right? And you said basketball, I think Celtics, if you said Baseball, unfortunately, I think, and most people would think the Yankees. 
uh, football would be America's team, obviously the Cowboys. No idea why, but that's what it would be. You know, when I think qualitative, right? I think of my buddy, Steve Schlesinger, who's Schlesinger Associate, who owns the, the largest qualitative company in the world. And when I think about moderators, I think of Anita Watkins, who manages the largest qualitative team in the world of about 800. You know, when somebody says sales, you know what I think of? I go right to you. And the reason is I don't know of anybody who has a larger sales team in the insights community than you. I mean, I mean, what are we talking? 700, 800, 1,000? I don't even know what the number is. What is the number? <laughs> we, as you know, we've brought together three, you know, three teams just over the last you know, 18, uh, 24 months. And so, you know, we've definitely grown dramatically and, uh, you know, we have, you know, we have field salespeople, we have account management uh, folks that are part of our sales organization. And then we have the PM, uh, the PM teams that deliver, you know, the projects that, that were sold. So it is a pretty big team. That's for sure. You, you got that right. So it's, it's interesting. Did you always want to be in sales? When I was growing up, all right, I wanted to be, you'll laugh, I wanted to play left field for the Boston Red Sox. And I followed, I wanted to fall in the footsteps of Ted Williams and Kai Stremski and Jim Rice. Um, and obviously I had no talent, so that couldn't really happen. However, um, did you always want to be, you know, what I would call a sales guru, a sales leader, sales management, or did you kind of just grow into that? It's a great question. The answer is no. Uh, I had no idea uh, what I was doing. And uh, I graduated college. I went to the University of Colorado. I was a political science major. And so I packed up a, a U-Haul with a friend of mine, actually, after we graduated. And I, we, we, we loaded up with all our furniture. And the furniture was worth a lot less than what we paid to rent the U-Haul, I think. But anyway, we we loaded it all up and we headed from Colorado to D.C. And I thought, you know what? I want to go into politics. I want to either run for office or be a, a lobbyist. And so I want to really experience it. And so I was there for a couple of years and, and I, I loved it. Actually, I had it was some of the great those some of the greatest times of my life there while I lived in D.C. And I worked on Capitol Hill and I, I did some other things. It was a really good experience. But I actually realized at the time that you don't want to be a politician. And so I got a job with a friend of mine, basically, who was importing espresso machines. He's importing these machines. He goes, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to pay you anything. But if you sell, I'll give you 10% commission. And we sold these things for like six dollars to $10,000. I thought, okay, I can sell these things. And so he goes, there's a phone book. And you know, just let me know how many you want me to order based on how many you sell. And let's, let's go make it happen. That was a great ex experience in my life because I realized there's no safety net. You go out and you sell, you build relationships with people, you understand what they need, you ask a lot of second and third level questions, and you position your, your solution to meet their needs, and they'll buy it. I thought, wow, this is great. This is pretty easy. Uh, and so I had a lot of fun in that job, met people opening restaurants, went to restaurant, new restaurants, and built a, a real kind of network of people really enjoyed it. But I realized I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. Then I, you know, sort of evolved into a technology sales role, and I ultimately went to work for Gartner, which was a great sales type of organization, and it was the best training ground. I was there for 15 years. I learned so much there. It was made great friends, but evolved my sales experience along the way. But I think what where it all started was I like this. I like to sell. I like to connect with people. I like to understand what I'm curious by nature. So I want to understand what people are trying to accomplish. With that, then I had some success. I thought, you know, I could, I can do this as a career. So I kind of built it up over time and realized that I, I was, I was decent at this, and I could teach and coach other people to be good at it. 
And over the years, just took on a little bit, you know, started with my own territory, then managed a small team, then managed a region, and, uh, and just kind of grew my career over time. And I, I feel very fortunate about that. And I've had a lot of fun. You know, I forgot you went to University of Colorado. And so are you telling me you saw Ralphie? You went to the games and you saw Ralphie run onto the field? Meryl, I, I... Don't tell me you, you were actually one of the people who held him. No, 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 I'm not. I don't think I'm fast enough to keep up with Ralphie. <laughs> tell the listeners who Ralphie is. They have probably no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, so Ralphie is a real live buffalo. So it's Colorado Buffaloes. And Ralphie's a real live buffalo that runs around the field before a football game, right? And uh, and he gets some a real head of steam going. And actually, there's been stories of like big Oklahoma linemen who kind of want to take on Ralphie and they uh, that doesn't ever go too well. Point I wanted to make though, is that I went to school, I'm going to show my age here, but I was there between, I started in 1988 and I was there 88 to 92 and they won the national championship while I was there. So Darian Hagan and Eric Bianami were the, you know, these, it was great uh, players at the time. It was just happened. It was just luck. They, they'd never been that good before. And frankly, they'd never been that good since. But we had a lot of fun over those years uh, when they had a lot of success in the, the football team. All right. And I won't, I, I will not follow up with how crazy was the tailgating because I'm looking forward to having your kids and your yeah. wife and your friends and family <laughs> yeah. listen to yeah, this. Thank you. So let's not get into that. But you know what? I, there is something you said that I do want to follow up on. You know, I have a lot of Merrillisms. And one of them is when somebody is at a company 10, 12, 14 years, their next job stint is typically less than 15 months. And it's got about an 85 to 90% success rate for lots of reasons. That didn't apply to you because you were at Gardner for, like you said, 15 years. You came to Dinata and you've been here for and had an amazing run. Got to believe that the due diligence that you took to find the Dinata opportunity, and I know back in the day it was a different company, but you get my point. But you actually overcame that and you didn't have a short stint. I did do a lot of work trying to kind of look at a lot of opportunities after when I decided I wanted to leave Gardner. What I wanted to be able to do, what I actually feel like probably uh, best at doing is taking the things I've learned and applying them to help a business grow. And so when I originally left Gardner to go to SSI, it was a really great opportunity. SSI at the time hadn't been doing very well. So the revenue actually was in decline. This was in late 2012. And the reality was is that it was declining because they just didn't have the right focus. They didn't have all the right salespeople. They didn't have the salespeople in the right places. And they didn't just have a kind of the simple sales process in place that would help enable that business to grow. There was plenty of uh, opportunity to grow that business, no shortage of opportunity. But it was more about just understanding, hey, look, we need to make sure that we have a much better sales go to market and a better talk track for clients. And along with that, then Bob Foss, who's, who's uh, still with Dynata now, did a great job of building the, the panel asset. So we had more to sell. So we had more to sell. We had a better team and we were better positioned with a better talk track. And the business started to grow. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. It's just implementing the fundamentals and, and basics and sticking to them and continuing to evolve and iterate and improve. That's great. Hey, Tom, let me ask you, what's the hardest part of your job? 
I think it's managing, making sure that we have the right people in the right roles. And sometimes you need to, you know, shift people around. You got to be honest with people and sales. You, you really need to have the sales DNA to do the job in sales. And so I think it's always, it's, you know, that's, that's a part of it. Just making sure that you're, you've got people, the right people on the bus and you've got them sitting in the right seats so that you position the company to be successful. So I think that's one component. The other part that can be a challenge is making sure that you have all the right data and visibility to all the right data so that you can make quick decisions. You know, that might be more related to my current situation where you brought three companies together, you're trying to pull systems together, but you really need to rely on data and a lot of leading indicator data to be able to have a dashboard and see how you're doing and, and the kind of make the kind of changes on the fly you need to make. Those are probably two components that can be, you know, difficult parts of, of the job. No, that's that's some good stuff for sure. You know, I, without question, the pandemic has changed me in a number of ways, how I approach my day, what time I start. And I would suggest that I, I might be a little bit better of a leader. I look, I may look at things a little bit different. Do you think you've changed your leadership style or the way that you are over the last nine months of the pandemic? Can you believe that? I mean, I remember when this first happened in you know late March and we thought, wow, if we can just make it out through the end of May, we should be out of this thing. you know. And here we are at the end of the year, still, still in the midst of it. The answer is absolutely it has changed me. There's no question about it. And uh, I think what we've realized at Dynata is let's, let's use this, let's use this as an opportunity both to build better relationships with each other, and which is a little bit of a challenge, uh, you know, because we're not seeing each other, but we've been really creative at trying to make good connections with each other virtually and uh, support each other through this. And let's also use it to make much better relationships with our clients. Our clients are, are in many ways, many of our clients are challenged through this pandemic. How can we help them? What, what can we do to try to help them through this? And even if it's, even if we need to take a step back to help them, that ultimately is going to be a win-win for both sides moving forward. And so we've, we've sort of taken a step back and said, let's take the foot off the pedal a, a little bit and let's really engage with our clients and let's really try to understand what kind of challenges they're experiencing and, and clients across the board have different challenges related to the pandemic. And this is what we've seen. How do we position our services to help them through it? You know, we have had um, so many more meaningful conversations with our clients about their business, where they're trying to go, what the challenges are, and then trying to figure out what services and solutions uh, can we help apply to help them get to those to get to that goal. And so, for us, I think that's what's changed: is taking a step back and being thoughtful, being curious about how we help our clients. Because if we can help our clients, then ultimately we're building a much stronger long-term relationship that will, again, suit us well, you know, uh, as we as we start to come out of this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, for sure. You know, when I look at you without question, and anybody who looks at you would say he's just the ultimate sales pro, the way he carries himself, the way he talks, the way he communicates, the way he analyzes things, the way his brain works. How do you get better? How do you sharpen that pencil? I do rely on mentors. I have a couple of mentors that I talk to on a regular basis, which I would uh, encourage everyone to have good mentors. You always have situations that come up 
so that you really just want to bounce it off someone you trust and you know will have good a good response uh, back or at least give you some other things to think about. And so I actively pursued mentors and then work hard at keeping up those relationships over time because I, I do want a place to go and uh, to be able to talk things through. That's one area. I do uh, a fair amount of reading because I, I, I always pick up things in books that are extremely helpful. I reread The Trusted Advisor, which is one of my favorite books. And then another book that I, that I highly recommend is called Fierce Conversations, which I think is a, one of the greatest books about how to have meaningful conversations with people. Uh, in fact, through questioning, you actually get them to tell you what you would, would, would like to tell them, right? So actually through questioning, you are leading them down a path so they have some self-realization along the way. And that's what makes a good conversation. So, so I think the, those reading books and having good mentors are the two things I've really heavily relied on uh, in you know, developing my own skills. And by the way, I'm also pre- I'm a pretty open guy. I, I do like to sit with my team and bounce ideas off. Hey, is this a stupid idea? Let me g- give me some thoughts on this. So I'm, I'm pretty open. I'm not, I don't have all the answers. In fact, I have very few answers. I rely on what I'm seeing that work within the team. And then it's my job then to take those and operationalize those practices. But you got to be open and have good conversations with your team and get feedback as well. Hey, you know what, Tom, I want to I wanna end with this, um, which is obviously the pandemic has hurt a lot of people in this great industry that we've been involved in for many, many decades What do you say in closing to anybody in transition who's struggling, who's, you know, can't find a job, doesn't have their next position? First of all, I want to be as helpful as possible. So if there's any way I can help anybody, I've seen a lot of that on LinkedIn. I've seen a lot of that through, you know, the work, Meryl, you've done through um, helping with the insights, uh, you know, the the portal to help people uh, locate and find jobs. This is a great industry of people that really care. That's what I love about it. And so, you know, like everyone else, if there's anything I can do to help find roles, uh, recommend that kind of thing. But the thing I would recommend people do is to take a step back and think, what do I want to do? What's an ideal job for me? What's really important in a job for me? What are the things that I really care about? What's my brand? What do I want people to think about me? And if I can, first of all, create a brand, so it's, it's, that's how I present myself. Here's my brand. Here's my value proposition. Here's why you want to hire me. And understand, here's where I'm going to take that story to. These are the kinds of companies and kinds of roles I really want to do moving forward and go with confidence. I think you're going to have a lot of success. So again, you got to spend some time thinking that through. What are the qualities you have? What are the environments you want to work in? What are the kind of roles you like? And, and really understand that and then take that and use mentors and then take it, identify companies and go, go after it. And I think the more confident you are and the more clear you are in what you want to do and where you're going, the more companies are going to want to listen to that story and, and bring you on to, to contribute to their success. The, the other thing I would say, too, to all managers out there, because this is something I've learned along the way. I spent a lot of time like saying, hey, Meryl, this is pandemic's hard. How you doing? And they nine times out of 10, like, I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. Right? End of conversation. Now I try to say, listen, tell me a little bit about, Meryl, how you and your family are coping with this pandemic. I think we need to sort of make sure that we're getting into those conversations and we're actually 
not just stopping at, hey, I'm doing fine, because that's what you're going to hear, but really taking the time to understand how people are doing, because it's tough. I'm fortunate because my kids are a little older. I'm not involved in having to manage teaching them while working at home and all these all these things. But it, it's a difficult situation for folks. So whether you're out looking for another job or even struggling, you know, trying to deal with the current environment, I think there's some techniques to, to make sure that we, we all employ every day. Well said, Tom. Tom, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Thanks again for listening. This is the On The Mark podcast. My name is Merrill Dubro, and a lot of great comments from Tom Johnson. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks, Merrill.